0: I am Dan O'Donnell. Welcome in once again to The Difference. It's the intersection of politics, that's my specialty, and economics, that is the specialty of Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Dave, we got a big week this week. Uh we've got earnings, we've got interest rates, and those are really it when it comes to the the basic bare bones success or failure or performance of the market.
1: Yeah, those two determinants for sure are are the biggest pieces. And this goes back obviously a hundred years you can listen to old professors talking about the two biggest determinants, and we're going to get, obviously, earnings this week and next, and by the end of next week, we'll know 50% of the S&P 500 company earnings, and then number two, the Fed is going to talk about raising interest rates and then what their perspective is going forward. Those are two big pieces of information, and they will determine a lot going forward because if they overdo it and they continue to raise interest rates, despite the Treasury market telling us that they were probably getting it under control, they could could break something. The Fed has been known to do that. They have put us in bad positions before. And so we're probably in this boom and bust economy that we have lived through for a number of decades. Now that's in front of us. And then the second piece, of course, when interest rates go up, It is really talking about the deficit and the debt. And that is a big conversation right now, as you well know. Will we get a shutdown if we don't get some type of a balanced budget? You've got to go all the way back, Dan, to when President Clinton, a Democrat, was sitting in office and he had a Republican House and Senate that they had a balanced budget. Can you believe that? It's been that long. So. Deficits determine the amount of debt, and the debt is $30 trillion. So it's an interesting uh, setup going forward for the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, that is sort of amazing that we went in less than a quarter century from a balanced budget, a budget surplus... To out of control spending. Now I know the the primary impetus of this was the dramatic, and I mean dramatic, military and national defense buildup after 9/11. I mean it was just a reality. We had an entire new branch, uh, well not branch, but 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 practically a branch of government in the Department of Homeland Security. And that was part of it in 08, right? So you look at the two biggest drivers, and you and you looked, and it
1: was trillion, 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 shot up to about six to eight trillion. Post the great financial crisis in 07, 08, and 09, there was a huge run-up. And then post-COVID was another huge run-up. But if you look post-COVID, that increase from about 15, or I, I should say, yeah, their budget, I should say their balance sheet, 15 trillion to 20 trillion was off the charts of yeah. the amount of money that they
0: printed. Those are the two big pieces of that. Well, and and that to me is the most ridiculous thing, that I will, I will grant the... the most elemental function of government is protecting the citizenry, right? Right. And we were attacked on 9-11 in a way that we hadn't been since Pearl Harbor. And I would argue that 9-11 was even more horrific because it targeted civilians. It wasn't an act of war that, you know, historically we were familiar with. This was a new type of war and we needed to fight it. Now, of course, we can still, with the benefit of hindsight, argue about the necessity of regime change in Iraq and how we were fighting um, the war in Afghanistan and that sort of thing. The reality is we were not attacked on that scale in the 20-plus years since 9-11. So on some level, it worked. So we can justify the spending there for Homeland Security, National Defense, uh, and and this massive run-up. But in terms of this idea that we got into our heads that that businesses are too big to fail, remember that one in 08 mm-hmm. and 09, mm-hmm. too big to fail, too big to fail. We need to pump money into these companies to keep them afloat. Well, that's not a function of government at all. Mm-hmm. And then in COVID-19, to just so dramatically change the relationship between government and business and government And the individual by saying, "Okay, we as government to protect you will simply make it impossible for the economy to continue. I mean, these are dangerous precedents that I think we've set in the last 15 years.
1: So there's a bunch of stuff that goes into that. Number one, is there a moral peril by doing the things that happen in 08 and 09, right? So they're too big to fail. There were certainly major Wall Street firms that certainly did a whole lot better than, than Main Street, number one. And then number two, what happened post-COVID? I know there was a transfer payments that continued to happen. And did that change the work environment, those are the questions that continue to lead into what the Fed is trying to fight right now, right? So they have transfer payments that are out there. And of course that in and of itself creates inflation if there's no output and there's there's spending, right? So those are two of the moral arguments you can have. But bigger and more important is this thing that is not just here in the United States, but it happened around the world called modern monetary theory that was just printing money to create it and spend it and so now you have this 30 trillion dollars of debt and this no concern from either side of the aisle about a balanced budget so i did say and and you'll recall that we had this conversation pre-election that maybe if the republicans take the house which we widely anticipated was going to happen, that we'd have a conversation on fiscal responsibility. And that's at our doorsteps right now. We'll see what comes out of it. You know, Biden said he's not, or at least Biden's people said he's not going to meet. But we'll have to have a conversation of, will we have some type of balanced budget and at least a step towards some sanity in, on the fiscal side?
0: I, I don't. I, forgive me if I don't have a whole lot of faith that we'll ever right. get to a balanced budget again. I, I mean, deficit spending has become the, the new normal. And this right. idea that well we can afford to keep the lights on, well okay in an increasingly globalized world where there are constant threats to remove the dollar as the reserve currency, right It, it just nope. frankly don't don't misunderstand. I actually think those are primarily idle threats. what are you gonna you're, you're no, gonna use they're currency that's manipulated like China's is you think they're going to do it. I don't think it's happening yeah. anytime soon. No,
1: I don't think they're going to balance the budget. I think they're going to capitulate. And they're, no, 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 have- no. What
0: I was saying with yeah. replacing the dollar as the world's reserve currency, oh. I just I don't yeah, see I know it. What-
1: There was a conversation last week about there was UEA or Iran saying that they would take a currency other than than the U.S. dollar because as we all know, commodities are priced, at least 90% of commodities are priced in U.S. dollars. That would have a dramatic effect on how things are paid. But it goes back to this situation which we've never had before. And that's why people can't look in the rearview mirror. Number one, we've never had $30 trillion of debt and compare that to what's happening in the GDP of this country. So if you have 20, just for rough numbers, if you have a $20 trillion GDP and you have $30 trillion of debt, you have more debt than your production. That's part of the conversation. Should there be some limit to the debt tied to the amount of GDP in the country? So that's number one. And number two, modern monetary theory and rising interest rates. So one, we've never had this much debt. And number two, we're going back, you know, we're 15 years of quantitative easing. If we get back to normal rates, take four or 5% of normal interest rate and put that on $30 trillion, that's 1.5 trillion yeah. in interest Payments alone. And by the way, Dan, 75% of the debt is going to roll over in the next three years. And so that means, you know, they had interest rates or treasury rates at very significantly low numbers. They're going to have to put those treasuries back on at higher interest rates. So that's a problem coming up and that's going to have to be dealt with.
0: Yeah. And that's a problem I don't think a lot of people are fully contemplating to you. I mean, we've sort of got this live in the now mentality as individual investors. I mean, we, we, Sort of have an eye to the future, but we are so focused on the immediate fluctuations, the day in, day out roller coaster drama that is the market. But in a broader macroeconomic sense, I don't think we understand how quickly the bill is coming due here.
1: Yeah, the bill is coming due, and, and we're going to have to see what that looks like. And of course, when recession, if the highly anticipated recession does happen in late 2023 or early 24 the question is what is the Fed going to do and is if they're going to lower interest rates and have go from a boom to bust again that that is a big piece of what's happening and then la- lastly I want to get to the earnings thing again is you know a lot of companies came out and you might have saw that uh, Ford came out this morning and said that they were going to cut the prices of the Mach-E. And so that just tells you something about the EV, what's happening right now. You know, still today, 95% of the the cars sold today are not battery-operated vehicles. Right. 95%, only 5%. And, of course, this whole idea that, you know, we're going to get to this production by 2030— That's not happening. It's not going to be 60% by 2030. It's probably not going to be 30%. It's probably going to be less than that by the year 2030. So I think that was just a pie-in-the-sky conversation. That really came out of Davos, by the way, many years
0: ago. That is interesting how much actually does get implemented into policy. And while I do believe that electric vehicles or perhaps some uh, form of generating power that we haven't contemplated yet is going to at some point replace the internal combustion engine. But I'm sort of with you, Dave. I just I don't see it. I guess I'm a little bit more pessimistic than even the automakers are about how quickly that revolution, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's going to be a market for it, but it, it strikes right. me that that's going to continue to be a niche market. What, have, what, if,
1: what if it's hydrogen? You know, you th- if you think yeah. about it, yeah, as you said, there might be an alternative to the batteries, but imagine building all of this infrastructure and doing all of these things and building all of these cars and changing over factories. And then it turns out, that they're not batteries because we can't get the raw materials because the raw materials come right. from
0: China. Right. 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 And this is um, something that I, I mean, what happens if and I mean, I do believe at some point the 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 dream is to have solar or, you know, uh, hydropower, water power like pure H2O powered vehicles, that's obviously the dream. What if that technology sooner than we think, and if there's one thing I uh, truly have faith in and I'm not cynical about, it's human ingenuity and how quickly yep. these sorts of revolutions happen. I mean, what does that do in terms of, I mean, the, 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 car company that can get a solar powered vehicle that can you know get 300 miles on a single charge and can actually have the ability to charge even in in climates like say London or Seattle where they don't get a lot of sun you know that's going to be the game-changing thing you know I wonder how much of a worry there is that electric fully electric vehicles isn't actually as much of the future as it's believed to be.
1: This Their goal was 60% by 2030. Obviously, we're in 2023 now, so seven years out. When it's only 5% of the purchases today, that would be a dramatic, dramatic increase. So that seems like that's a pie-in-the-sky number, number one. And then number two, of course, part of that is AI. And, of course, we all know about chat GPT and what they're able to do. But it's just one more example of AI. Maybe AI is driving cars too. Yeah. So, so there's so much, I mean, it's, it's a good time to be alive. I know a lot of people are pessimistic. I was watching the Sunday morning talk shows and everyone is so dour and pessimistic, right.
0: but there's a lot to be excited about going forward. Well, like the objectively, the best time to be alive is right now. We are, as we speak, at the absolute pinnacle of human evolution thus far. Right, Right. like every time, every day that we're alive is is the new peak of the sum total of human knowledge, and I I think you're right. People do sort of forget that, and we sort of focus on the negative and political squabbling. I saw one guy uh, who tweeted. It was a conservative radio host, actually, who said, "You know, the past three years have been three of the worst in the history of mankind." I responded. I said. From 1347 to 1350, the Black Death killed half of Europe. (laughs) Let's settle down with these projections. Yeah, no, I didn't like what we did with COVID-19 either. Uh, But let's not forget that we are really at the precipice of, I think, and you and I both agree, the AI revolution is something that is going to forever alter mankind on the same level that the internet did 25 years ago. It's just, it is going to change And Dan,
1: we're not just talking about cars here. We're talking about healthcare and we're talking about the ability to do so many things. How about education? You know, we can get off on a tangent here, but what about the horrible poor education that some of the kids are getting uh, in in the lower income neighborhoods? Here's an opportunity Mm -hmm. to help them along. So there's so much that I think could really be a jumping off point right now. So that's, and by the way, that's one way to invest. Is where is the opportunity yep. set going forward? Yep. Not to be, you have to look around curves, but really a good time and to be positive. I know it's going to be a rough ride in 23 and perhaps 24, but on the other side of that, after every downturn, we've had a
0: nice rally. Yes, we have, and always remember that. What is it? Every the Grateful Dead, every silver lining as a touch of gray. Well, every touch of gray does have that silver lining. And to help you find it, to make sure you know what you own, why you own it, and how it can work best for you, we always encourage you to head to AnnexWealth.com, review your portfolio with an expert. It's called a wealth metric, and it is absolutely free at AnnexWealth.com. There are tons of opportunities for investment, and believe it or not, recessions present some of the biggest opportunities. And of course, we will be here each and every week to help you guide uh, guide you through all of that uncertainty. For Dave Spano, he is the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. I'm Dan O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal or investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.